0: This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, Chartered Financial Analyst and Certified Financial Planner Professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock with the Retirement Detective Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. For those of you that are recurring listeners, thank you for listening to our multi-part series on alternative investments. But much like you probably are, I'm ready to move on. And today we'll be talking about something completely different HSA and FSA accounts, health savings accounts, and flexible spending arrangements. Basically, two tax-advantaged ways to pay for some medical and healthcare-type costs. We'll spend most of our time today talking about HSAs because there are a lot more planning opportunities around health savings accounts than there are with flexible spending arrangements, but they're both pretty useful. And that will be today's episode. I sometimes hear HSAs and FSAs being used interchangeably, but that is completely incorrect. They are very different. And let's talk about FSAs first, and then we'll contrast that with HSAs and talk about them in more detail because there's certainly a lot more opportunity there. So an FSA is a benefit that you would get from an employer that is often included as part of a broader plan that's called a cafeteria plan. And I don't want to dive into what a cafeteria plan is. Sometimes it's called a Section 125 plan, and that just has to do with the section of the tax code that it comes from. Basically, uh, an FSA is a way for employees to pay for some medical costs with pre-tax dollars. So each year, an employee would fill out a form and make an annual election about how much they want to contribute to the account. And in some cases, employers can contribute. Anything you contribute is excluded from your gross income on your W-2. And there is an annual limit, and it's around $3,000 as you make expenses you pay for things you know be it a medical bill or certain prescriptions or certain items there's a whole list of things you can and cannot spend fsa money on you have it's like you have an account set aside with the employer you would present to them evidence you know a receipt or something proving that you made this expense and they would reimburse you and you could be reimbursed up to the amount in that quote account based on what you set aside and anything the employer set aside. As long as it's a qualified expense, it's you know, one of the expenses that's permitted, then you would um, have a reimbursement from that account. And as a result, you'd be paying for those expenses with pre-tax dollars. So it it's a pre-tax. Withdrawal from your paycheck to go into the account and you pay for the qualified expenses from that account meaning Money in that account was never taxed and that's advantageous to you as a taxpayer Now one of the downsides of an FSA is it's usually to some degree use it or lose it and if you don't use all of the money then it's gone that year or I believe some plans allow you to carry a certain amount over, but it's not the full amount. You can carry some amount over to the next year. You'd have to check with your employer and their particular plan. But flexible flexible spending arrangements are, are best used to pay for expenses in that particular year, and it's an, an employer benefit. and It's account held at your employer, pre-tax dollars taken from your paycheck, fund the account, and then you submit for reimbursement medical expenses that are paid from that account, effectively making those expenses paid with pre-tax dollars. All right, so now let's talk about an HSA. An HSA is a health savings account. Now this is, in a lot of ways, similar. It's pre-tax, so it's tax-advantaged, but it's more like a savings account hence the name, and the balance in that account can last for for many years. There's no use-it-or-lose-it concept, but there are more limitations compared to a a regular uh, FSA. So not everyone is eligible to have an HSA and to contribute to one. To contribute to one, a taxpayer has to be in what's called a High deductible health plan. So, to take a step back and talk about health insurance for a minute, there's usually two routes you can go with health insurance. And I mean, admittedly, there's, you know, hundreds of plans out there, but you can kind of think of it as a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, you have extremely high premiums, but low deductibles. And then you have extremely low premiums and high deductibles. It's a, it's a trade-off. You can either pay more on a recurring basis each month and then your, your deductible and out-of-pocket costs might be less, or you can pay a lower amount each month, but then your deductible and higher and out-of-pocket costs could potentially be higher. And most people try to game this out every year based on well, how much do I expect to spend at the doctor, et cetera, and then therefore this is probably the right plan for me. And that's a whole other discussion. But HSAs are a benefit that's only available to those that have a high deductible plan. So they've elected to go, on the spectrum, the direction of having lower premiums but higher deductibles. Now, there are IRS limits about what the minimums are in terms of the deductible, the out-of-pocket Expenses, etc. What the plan can and cannot cover—that's uh, beyond the scope of this discussion. But there, the the criteria. There's a certain criteria. Let's just say for a high deductible health plan that opens the door to having that HSA. Assuming you meet that criteria, let's just assume that, then you could establish a health savings account, and there are different custodians that can hold it. Uh, Technically it's a trustee, Um, some insurance companies, banks, um, there are some brokerages that will hold HSAs. um, But you have to find one that will hold it. You can't just have it at your house, for instance. And if your spouse is also eligible for an HSA, you can't combine them. So you'd have to have two separate ones. And depending on how the plans worked, your two separate HSAs might be at two different places, but there's no such thing as a joint HSA. Now, the benefit of having an HSA is that you can make a contribution to it. Your, your employer can also make a contribution to it. Now, there are limits. So in 2023, an individual could contribute up to $3,850 to an HSA for a family and if you're over a certain age, age 55, then you'd have a $1,000 catch-up contribution for each spouse, potentially, if they both had access to a plan. Now, if an employer makes a contribution, it's not on top of that. It just reduces the amount that the employee could contribute, which is still a benefit, You just can't go above those dollar amounts I just mentioned, but some portion of that dollar amount could be covered by your employer. And each year, you can make those contributions, and as you have qualified expenses, you take money out of the account to pay for them, and you have the similar benefit as you did with the FSA, which is it was pre-tax money going in, it's pre-tax money coming out, and as a result, you're paying for those expenses in a tax advantage way because it's pre-tax money. You haven't been taxed on it yet. Where an HSA is very different is in years where maybe you don't have that level of expense and maybe it was a year where you just didn't need to go to the doctor that much, you had few medical visits, et cetera. Whatever's in that account, you could save. And you can do this year after year after year. So let's say that you had a health high deductible health plan for the last 30 years and you were able to retain $2000 from that high deductible plan, you know, you had expenses but you were able to save 2000 each year net for 30 years that's $60,000 potentially you could have in an HSA in my little example. And depending on where it's held, you may be able to actually invest some or part of that balance meaning you could add to that with growth or interest. Now, of course, that depends greatly on what your expenses are and what your usage of the account is, but theoretically, if you're able to save each year, it could just keep growing and growing and growing. Now, a couple of things that are unique about HSAs that really start to build the picture of why they're a great planning vehicle Unlike contributing to an IRA and some other retirement vehicles, HSAs do not necessarily have to come from earned income because you may not have earned income but you may still have a high deductible health plan and maybe you have savings and other places you could move that money from in order to fund the HSA and therefore there are no income limits with an HSA. Also, and this is really where it gets interesting, Let's say you've had an HSA for a long time, and you hit a typical retirement age of age 65. Now, normally, if you pay for things from your HSA that are not qualifying medical expenses, that amount is included in taxable income, and then there's usually an additional penalty on top of that, which I believe is 20%. So that's pretty steep. So you really want to use an HSA for qualified medical expenses. However, in certain scenarios, they waive that. And the additional tax does not apply, that penalty does not apply in certain scenarios, one of which is if the account beneficiary becomes disabled, for instance. So if they become disabled, then the HSA, they're not going to, uh, you can take money out and use it for anything. You'll still pay the tax on it, the income tax, but there's no extra penalty. But here's here's the interesting one: the additional penalty does not apply to taxpayers w- that are over age 65 or are age 65. So basically, 65 and over. So once you're age 65, an HSA functions much like an IRA. And therefore, if suppose you were had a high income and you were not able to make a deductible IRA contribution, you would potentially be able to make a contribution to an HSA if you had a appropriate high deductible plan. And if you were able to save that amount and invest it for a long period of time, here you've built up an account that maybe, if you were at a high income your whole career, you might not be able to make a deductible IRA contribution each year, but you were able to make this contribution to an HSA, grow it in a tax-free manner. And then upon retirement, if you use the funds for medical expenses, then there's no income tax or penalty. And if you're over or if you're age 65 or over, then the account really functions like an IRA and you could use it for really any of your expenses. Uh, and anything that's not medical, you'd pay income tax on it, just like an IRA. If it's medical, you'd pay no tax on it. But there's also no penalty once you're age 65. And that can make it a really interesting planning vehicle. If you're married, you get some other unique benefits. You can't have a joint HSA, but one spouse can pay for the other's expenses from their HSA, etc. So there could be some potential to... Um, do some unique things there but HSAs are really unique because after you turn 65 they basically function much like an IRA with the added benefit that qualified medical expenses are free. A common question, can I pay for my medical premiums with my HSA? The general answer is no. However, There are a couple of exceptions to this. Any premiums you're paying for COBRA and any premiums for long-term care insurance are potentially eligible to be paid from the HSA, but your health insurance premiums, for instance, for the high deductible plan that allows you to have the HSA in the first place, you generally cannot pay those premiums from the HSA. If you transition from a high deductible plan to a regular deductible plan and are no longer eligible to contribute to the HSA, you don't have to liquidate it. You can keep it and it can continue to grow. And as long as the expenses are qualified, you can continue to make distributions for reimbursement on those qualified medical expenses, even if you're no longer eligible to make a contribution to an HSA plan. So you can just hold on to it. But if you're no longer eligible, you can definitely no longer make contributions to that HSA, but you can hold on to it in case you need it for expenses in the future, or perhaps you become eligible again, like in the future you transition back from a regular deductible plan to a high deductible plan, therefore eligible once again and could begin contributing again. That's a quick highlight reel of HSAs and a little bit on FSAs, but HSAs are really interesting. Lots of rules, lots of ways to get tripped up. So be very careful navigating that and talk to your insurance provider to to determine if your plan is HSA eligible. And if it is, there are some interesting things that you can do with that. That is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. Take care. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.